So, besides the audio issues that we've been having off mic, how's it going? Well, I was the victim of a stabbing yesterday. <gasps> no. um, and by that, I mean a little bolt and his little friend stabbed my tires. And now I have to get a new tire because it was not fixable because... Just like how some people say go for the jugular, they went for the jugular of my tire, which is the sidewall. Oh, wow. And now a mama needs a new tire. Big adult problems. Big adult problems. Big adult problems with big adult solutions that fall under the term warranty. Fun. Love it. Very adulty. Very right. adulty. Well. But you know what? How are how are our sexy little cuties doing? How are they? How is everybody? Everybody out there, or you mean my cat? I mean everybody out there. I mean, oh, okay. Bean is also a sexy little cutie, but if you will just give them a moment so that they can tell us how they're doing, that would be great. Like, please don't interrupt them. We know that everybody okay. doesn't like it when people interrupt. So Here we go. That's great. You know? Really? Look That's at fantastic. you. You go. Love it. Excellent. Love that for you. you love to see it. I love this journey for you. Yeah. Well, before we start, everyone like will have read the title of the podcast episode unless you clicked it Maybe. so fucking fast because you're so excited of what podcast this is crime culture yes i thought you doing were supposed it to another week i think as long as it gets introduced no I it was more your, organic your all right well then this is crime culture now we've said it twice now we're redundant Haley. are you happy fine well before <laughs> we even start this podcast i wanted to uh address something i posted on the facebook um Sometime last week. I don't fucking remember. Uh, there's a Time new a Bundy movie coming out. Oh, for fuck's sake. Oh, the one with um, Chad Michael Murray? Yeah. Yeah. Do, yeah. And as I posted on the Facebook, do we need another hot Bundy movie? No. We don't. No. We didn't need a hot Bundy movie, period. Bundy uh, wasn't hot. Yeah, I know. Uh, but as it was quoted in the article uh, from Oxygen that I shared... Um, somebody on Twitter said, quote, the only Ted Bundy adjacent movie I'm interested in is one which respectfully tells the story, the life stories of these women being the, his victims mm -hmm. and girls, humanizing them, portraying them as real people who lived and loved rather than simply victims and only if their families give permission, unquote. Yeah. 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 I, I fully or, agree with that. We or like an I survived type story. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Like yeah. that would be like we, we, he is so fucking publicized. I mean, what do we know about the women who got away? We didn't even know, or I shouldn't say we, but there are people who didn't know that he did have victims who got away. Yeah, I think, like, Kathy Klinner's story is so much more yes. interesting than, <laughs> than Ted Bundy himself. He's Right, I mean, even, even, even extremely wicked and loud and incredibly close or whatever it was, I will never get that name, um it had the potential to do just that where it taught it could have delved into like liz his, how, his girlfriend yes yeah. how she like dealt with this came to terms with this and she was not very well in terms of not in terms of like character but just she wasn't as present as she should have or could have been Especially like, with the actress who from, it was, Lily Collins. Yeah. Like, she's, like, a phenomenal actress, so yes. she should have been featured more. I mean, yeah. we have an entire episode talking about Extremely Wicked, Shockingly Evil, and Vile. Never um, gonna get it. 
I, I'm reading an article with the title in it, so that's the only reason why I remembered it. But anyway, uh, this movie is called American Boogeyman. It's going to be in theaters August 16th, and it's also in conjunction with another film called American Boogie Woman, which is about Eileen Warnos, oh. um, who a girl from... What Peyton movie? List? Yes, yes, that yeah. girl. She's from Disney Channel. Yes. She was in Jesse, for those who don't know, or for those who shouldn't know, but they nannied a tribe of children or I guess not a tribe, because uh, tribe we can't really say. A gaggle of children. Um, but again, this is, a, this is something we also talked about. Another Disney star playing a murderer. Yeah, like, um, yeah literally another, or, or not even, I wouldn't even go just that far. So I believe the director of this movie, Daniel Farrens, who's also directing um, the, the, um, <sighs> the the eileen wornos both both the ted bundy and you know what i mean um he also was if i remember correctly the director of that um sharon tate the haunting of sharon tate or he produced oh really yeah yeah that's what i'm saying that's what i'm saying like it's just it's right it's right in that mo i just quick took a quick look at his imdb page he wrote produced and directed the haunting of sharon tate so not only that but it's another you know what I'm trying to say? Like, it's another one of his movies where he's casting a blonde child actress yeah. from Disney. And I just... And, <sighs> I mean, granted, the movies have not come out yet. True. It doesn't look great for the outcome, but we have not seen anything yet. So True. Uh, we will wait until that comes out. Sorry that this is the beginning of the episode, but this is literally just information that I saw recently, and it's true crime pop culture related which is our entire podcast so that's that um but now we're going to talk about something that something else that was highly publicized and also in like a very weird light hell Um, yeah so the uh documentary about um the death of elisa lamb came out on netflix um the crime scene vanishing at the cecil hotel and um it brought a lot more information up about the CISO hotel itself. Mm-hmm. And I kind of wanted to do this episode talking about the CISO hotel's past, um, separate from what happened to Elisa Lamb. Uh, because there's a lot of, I mean, I haven't done super research into other hotels in the area or other popular hotels. I mean, we could do an entire episode on, um, um, the hotel in Colorado, Stanley Hotel? Yes, Is that the one? Stanley. Yes. Yeah. So, I mean, that has its own, like, creepy history, too. And there's articles talking about, like, the creepiest hotel in each state and everything. But this one does seem to have, like, a lot more publicized um, tragedies than yeah. some other places. Absolutely. Um, I agree. It's It's got a long history to it. So, we're just going to talk about some of the things that happened at this hotel and what's true what's not what was kind of like overly publicized and what the real story is um i'm going to say right up top that there is talk of um suicide so if that's something that you can't listen to take care of yourself and bow out no problem and no shame no shame um so a little history about the hotel itself um formerly the cecil hotel now we know it's the stay on main it's mm-hmm. located in downtown los angeles california at 640 south main street 
It was built in 1924 by uh, William Banks Hanner and was designed by Loy Lester Smith. And it was built on the site of a home that had been converted into a chicken farm slash pet store called the Fancier's Exchange. And I thought that was an interesting fact because you see Los Angeles now, and especially in that area, and you're like, hmm, there used to be a chicken farm here? Right here? Yep. Right in the middle of the downtown? Yes. That's what it was like in the 20s. Um, so this chicken ranch store stayed in business throughout the twenties before the property was sold to WW Patton and associates for the new hotel. The hotel itself cost around 1.5 million to build and was at the time considered to be one of the most beautifully constructed buildings in California. When it opened in, I was getting conflicting reports. Every single article I read either said 1924 or 1927. I couldn't find the actual date that it opened. Um, But when it opened, the interior featured a grand Art Deco design with a decadent marble lobby, stained glass windows, potted palms, and an alabaster statuary. Uh, One article even mentioned that all of the furnishings in the entire hotel were made in California. So it was very, like, local, very gorgeous, especially at the time. Yeah. And the intention of the hotel itself was to attract businessmen and tourists and some of the what's close to 100,000 daily commuters that pass through the Pacific Electric Railway Station uh, that was located just a block away. So it was in the perfect area to attract so many different kinds of people. Um, It features 19 floors, 700 bedrooms, and what was quoted as 50% baths, a spacious lobby, and mezzanine and a basement. And the hotel received a gift of 700 Gideon Bibles in July 1925, one for each room. And by 1927, rooms with a shared bath cost $1.50 a night. Wow. Yes. Rooms with a private toilet cost $2 a night. And rooms with an, an entire private bath, toilet, and shower cost two fifty a night. I'll take which it. Which is wild. Um, so yeah, as the story goes, following the great depression in the thirties, more than 10,000 homeless people populated the four mile radius around the hotel, which had become known as Skid Row. Um, in it's nearly 100 years. The once beautiful hotel has gained a reputation as a meeting place for junkies, runaways, and criminals. Worse yet, the Cecil hotel ultimately earned a reputation for violence and death with stories of murder, suicide, missing persons, and overdoses. Like we'd mentioned earlier in the Netflix docuseries Crime Scene Vanishing at the Cecil Hotel, the hotel's former manager, Amy Price, claimed that she had personally seen 80 deaths in the 10 years that she had worked there from 2007 to 2017. Wow. So, yeah. Wow. I mean, we had talked, again, we can do an entire, there's probably entire podcast talking about Skid Row. There's so much information about uh, the origins of why uh, that became the area and the racism and mm-hmm. everything to go along with that. That is a whole other uh, beast to tackle. But because this hotel is in this area and it was still relatively cheap to live there and it had rooms that you could um, stay for much longer. Like it was kind of mm-hmm. like half apartments, half uh, hotel. Yeah, or um, like extended just, stays. Yeah, exactly. Like, it just yeah. became... Uh, a lot to handle. Um, so we're going to talk about some of the suicides now. The first reported case of suicide was on January 27th, 1927, which is possibly like the year that it opened. 
because some reports said that it opened in 1927. So this would have been like, if it opened on January 1st, this is 12 days after. Mm-hmm. Um, so this is when 52-year-old Percy Ormond, Percy Ormond Cook, uh, shot himself in the head while inside his hotel room after failing to reconcile with his wife and child. Although the Times reported that he was rushing to the, he was rushed to the receiving hospital with a slim chance of survival, death records re- reveal that he had died the same evening. Um, in 1931, in November, a 46-year-old Manhattan Beach man named W.K. Norman was found dead in in his room in the Cecil Hotel. Apparently, Norman had checked into the hotel under the alias James Willies from Chicago and had taken his life by ingesting capsules filled with poison. Mm-hmm. Um, a hotel maid found 25-year-old Benjamin Dodich, uh, dead from a self-inflicted gunshot wound to his head in September of 1932. He did not leave a suicide note. Um, yeah, there's so many. It's wild. Like, I don't know the statistics of of people taking their lives in hotels. Um, I imagine if they don't want to do it in their home with their yeah. families, then a hotel is kind of a an option. Right. Um, but... Th- it does seem like there's a lot at this specific hotel. Um, in late July 1934, 53-year-old former Army Medical uh, Corps Sergeant Louis D. Borden was found dead in his room at the Cecil. He had slashed his own throat with a razor. <gasps> yeah. Can't do that. No, no, no. <sighs> not that... Oh, like, not can't do that. Isn't Like, your body, your choice. But, like, I can't that's, imagine yes that's that that's a, that's a rough one he's he had to have been just fully just suffering well to, it said for it, it said that, that um that he had left several notes one of which cited poor health as a reason for his suicide so like maybe he got a bad diagnosis and was like i'm not going through that and he took this way which oh is still wild um in 1937, 25-year-old Grace E. Margot died as a result of either falling or jumping from the window of her room in the ninth story of the of the Cecil. Instead of hitting the sidewalk below, she landed on the wires connecting the telephone poles next to the hospital, and her body became tangled in them. Mm-hmm. Uh, she was taken to Georgia Street Receiving Hospital, which is now demolished, but she eventually died from her injuries. The police were unable to determine if the young woman's death was an accident or a suicide. And M.W. Madison, a sailor that she had been sharing the hotel room with, couldn't explain how or why she had gone through the window. And he claimed to have slept through the incident. What? I think today, yeah, I think today there might have been more of a of a look into this guy to see was he pushed? Yeah, because like, how yeah. do you sleep through that? I'm sorry. Yeah, that's like, a little wild. I I sleep like a fucking log, and that would have woken me up if someone jumped through a window. Yeah, that would have been yes! a little much. I, I, I'm I mean like it's it's I I don't know about that. Seems, I don't know seems about fishy, that. but yeah. that was yes. in 1937. Yes. So in January 1938, 35-year-old United States Marine Corps fireman Roy Thompson either jumped or fell from the Cecil's top floor and was found on the skylight of the neighboring building. Uh, At that point, he had been staying at the Cecil for several weeks. The next year, in May 1939... 
39-year-old Navy officer Erwin C. Neblet was found dead in his room after ingesting poison. This is the third um, uh, military person that we have talked yeah. about taking their life at the Cecil, which is, it seems like a lot, right? Yeah. Um, another poison death occurred in January 1940. 45-year-old teacher Dorothy Seger ingested poison while staying at the Cecil and was reported by the Los Angeles Times to be quote, near death. No further reports were published about her condition, but her death is listed as January 12th, 1940 on findadeath.com. Mm-hmm. In November 1947, 35-year-old, uh, it says Rovert, I don't know if it's Robert and I spelled it wrong, uh, Robert Smith died of either falling or jumping from the hotel's seventh floor. In October 1954, Helen gurney a 55 year old woman from san diego checked into the hotel under the fake name margaret brown and jumped from the window of her room on the seventh floor instead of plummeting to the street her body landed on the marquee of the season <gasps> oh my god i believe that marquee is still up i think i don't uh, know if they took it down when they renamed the hotel because it's in like it's in the netflix docuseries you see the the marquee yeah or maybe it was replaced. I might have get. I might get to it later on in the the outline. But I wrote this a while ago. Um, so on February eleventh, nineteen sixty two, fifty year old Julia Francis Moore jumped from the window of her eighth floor room and landed in a second story interior light well. She did not leave a suicide note. Among her possessions was a bus ticket from Saint Saint Louis for uh she also had 59 cents in change and an illinois bank book that showed a balance of eighteen hundred dollars wow yeah wow later that year on october 12th 1962 27 year old pauline otten threw herself from the ninth floor following an argument with her estranged husband dewey who had left the room just prior to her suicide she fell 90 feet and landed on 65 year old george ganini uh who's just happened to be walking by. Um, wow. Yeah. They were both killed instantly, and there were no witnesses. Police initially thought that Otten and Ganini committed suicide together. However, it was soon determined that Ganini had his hands in his pocket at the time of death and was still wearing his shoes. Uh, had he jumped, his shoes would likely have fallen off um, on impact or during the fall, and his hands wouldn't have been in his pocket at that point. Yeah. Um, Damn. And then the last one is on December 20th, 1975, a still unidentified woman jumped from her 12th floor window onto the Cecil's second floor roof. She had registered at the hotel on December 16th under the name Allison Lowell and was staying in room 327. But still no one knows who exactly she is. Yeah. That's, that's so fucked. Yeah. And that's just the people that took their own lives. Um, yeah. Yeah. There's been some notable murders that happened. Uh, the first confirmed murder in the Cecil's history happened on, uh, sorry, in September of 1944. 19-year-old Dorothy Jean Perschel was sharing a room with her 38-year-old boyfriend, Ben Levine, when she was woken up by severe stomach pains. She was careful not to wake Levine, who was sleeping in the bed beside her, and went to the bathroom and, to her surprise, gave birth to a baby boy. Oh, fuck. Yeah. Um, she was completely shocked. She did not know that she was pregnant. Um, and after she delivered the infant completely alone, 
She thought that the child was stillborn and threw the baby's body out of the window. Oh, hell no. Yeah. Hell um, no. I, I, the newborn landed on the roof of the neighboring building where he was later discovered. An autopsy revealed that the baby had been born alive. Uh, Perchel was charged with homicide, but three psychiatrists testified that she was, quote, mentally confused. At the time of the incident, and jury found her not guilty by reason of insanity, she was sent to a hospital for psychiatric treatment in January 1945. And obviously, like, there's other there's other options she could have taken, uh, but I would say at that moment, yes, she was not in the right mental headspace to be making any kind of right. rational decision. right. Um, not not at all excusing what she did, no. but there's a like a she not was like 19. a rhyme or a reason. She didn't know she was pregnant. Yeah, there's a lot going on there. Yeah, there's it's a lot more. Happening. It's it's not cut and dry. Exactly. Um. So on June fourth, nineteen sixty four, a hotel worker discovered seventy nine year old Goldie Pigeon Lady of Pershing Square Osgood. Um. She was That's a retired a telephone operator. She had been stabbed, strangled, and raped in her room at the Cecil Hotel. Wow. Osgood had been well-known around the area and had earned the nickname because she often fed birds in the nearby Pershing Square. Near her body was the Los Angeles Dodgers cap that she always wore and a paper sack full of bird seed. Hours mm-hmm. after her murder, 29-year-old uh, Jacques, I think, B. Sure. Enlinger. Uh, was seen walking through Pershing Square in bloodstained clothing. Wait, can you spell that? His name first? Name? It might be Jacques. It, uh, that's what I'm thinking after you I'm said so that. I was like, wait, J-A-C-Q-U-E-S. Yeah. Yeah. Jacques. Jacques. Sorry. Jacques, like the mouse in Cinderella and Gus Gus, but Gus Gus isn't there. Jacques's wearing bloodstained clothing, though. Let's go. Yeah. In Pershing Square, where this woman would often feed the birds. Um, He was arrested and charged with Osgood's murder, but was later cleared of the crime. Newspapers reporting on the murder at the time said uh, her friends claimed to have seen her just minutes before her body was found. And this murder actually remains unsolved. Oh, shit. Yeah. But I've seen no other information as to why Jacques, not the mouse, was walking around in bloodstained clothing. (laughs) so yeah there's that, that's weird i mean somebody should look into that a little bit yeah more. there's got to be a reason for that that's not normal yeah um we're gonna talk about some serial killers obviously there was talk in the um in the docuseries about richard ramirez we'll get to it um so skid row historian dr doug mungan revealed in the docuseries that the surrounding area of the Cecil Hotel became a dumping ground for criminals and the mentally unstable. Mungan explained, quote, After people are released from prison or jail or from a mental facility, they are dropped off on Skid Row because the city wanted to make sure that these types of people remain separated from the rest of Los Angeles, end quote. Mm-hmm. Which is not the way to go about that, especially somebody who is literally driven from the gates of prison to this area, they haven't had time to reacclimate to society because obviously in prison they're not getting the type of uh, care that they deserve. So you're just throwing somebody into a really rough situation. Yeah. Um. So 
In the mid-1980s, the Cecil Hotel became home to Richard Ramirez, the Night Stalker. Ramirez stayed in in a room on the 14th floor for $14 a night. He had no ID or home address, and they weren't required when he made his booking. In the docuseries, L.A. historian Kim Cooper states that, quote, he, meaning Ramirez, would be in the back alley covered in blood taking off his clothing, end quote. Nah, fam. Yeah. While fellow L.A. historian Richard Shave says, quote, he would walk around in blood-stained underwear barefoot up to his floor and into his room repeatedly, end quote. I don't know how true <laughs> those quotes are. I, I think especially the docuseries was very sensationalized. So I'm thinking that's not exactly what happened. Mm-hmm. Um, but guests at the hotel did not have to formally check out. So if they left belongings, it was protocol for the hotel staff to just bag up what was left behind and keep it in a storeroom for 30 days. Uh, Ramirez was allegedly known for taking items from his victims and what he could not sell, he would discard with little to no concern for forensics. Great. Well, Uh, because that wasn't also a a thing yet. Yeah. Not at this time. Yeah. Um, So although this is the story that is thrown around in basically every discussion about the Cecil Hotel, Ramirez is only rumored to have stayed at the hotel based on statements made by the night clerk, Raul uh, Enriquez. Mm-hmm. He also lived on the 14th floor and said that a man he was certain was Ramirez lived there for several weeks in late July and August and for another two weeks in possibly in late August. He even said that he spoke to him a few times but never got his name. It's definitely possible that Ramirez made statements to the police about staying at the Cecil Hotel. But an online search reveals that they're different variations of the same story. And obviously, I'm going to take Ramirez's word as far as I can throw him because he's, he's a huge yeah. piece of shit and lied yeah. about a lot of shit. Yeah. Um, another one that was always talked about is, um, so in 1991, Austrian-born serial killer Jack Unterweger checked into the CISO Hotel Underwager had already served time in an Austrian prison for murdering an 18-year-old woman who had who he had strangled with her own bra. Mm-hmm. Um, Underwager testified in court that he felt compelled to murder the victim after he believed he saw the face of his mother who abandoned him and hers. This is a guy that needs his own episode, so I'm not going to dive too deep into his history. Um Although Unterweger was sentenced to life in prison, he was released after serving 15 years. Behind bars, uh, he finished his own autobiography, Purgatory or the Trip to Jail, Report of a Guilty Man. And upon release, he traveled to Los Angeles where he masqueraded as a journalist, and that's how he ended up at the Cecil Hotel. Um, He alleged that he was writing about a rise in crime rates of, um, in the prostitution area of... Mm -hmm. Uh, Los Angeles at the time. Uh, He was invited to participate in a ride-along with local police through the red light district, which became his hunting ground. So basically he had a police escort to all the places that he was going to then murder people. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, Yeah. LA was weird. Is weird. It was was much weirder. Yeah. But also, Um, what is up with men and their preoccupation or i guess i shouldn't just say men but it historically we've talked about 
men who just are so preoccupied with sex work. Yeah. In in like an un, not, and I'm not talking from a patronage way, from just a like, oh well, like we got to. Well, this they, is going on. They, I need to. I need to know about this. Yeah, yeah. like come on, do fuck you? off. No. What the mm-hmm. fuck? Why? Let people live their lives. Yes. Jesus. Whatever. Um. So it's unknown how many victims Unker- Unterweger murdered during his time in Los Angeles. Police recovered three bodies in the area. Uh, sex workers Shannon Exley, Irene Rodriguez, and Peggy Boots Booth with. Um, they all had the trademark of strangulation by an undergarment. Um, he was captured in Miami in 1992. But basically, long story short, he stayed at the Cecil. Uh, that's about as much info that the Cecil gets on this. Um, so one more would be that... Okay. On the afternoon of July 6, 1988, the body of 32-year-old Terry Francis Craig was discovered in the Huntington Beach house um, the young woman had shared with her boyfriend, who was 28-year-old salesman Robert Sullivan. More than two months later, Sullivan was arrested at the Cecil, where he had been staying and charged with murdering Craig, making him another murderer who hid out at the hotel. Jesus. I mean, there's no saying that, like, he chose the hotel because of of other stuff that's been going on. I think right. a lot of people stayed at this hotel just because it was cheap. Yeah. Well, yeah. and I'm sure that's that's also the main attractor for these these criminals as well in the sense of it's cheap. Cheap hotels often don't require, like, you can just pay in cash. You don't have to pay yeah. with, like, a check or anything like that that can be traced back to you. And... I mean, I'm sure that's that that is the attraction for a lot of people, both victims or survivors or um, criminals. I don't want to like say killers because some of them didn't necessarily kill, but they've maimed. But I also think like the talk about um, Richard Ramirez, how he could just like dump his bloodstained clothes and mm-hmm. walk up to like his room with like no problems. It's the it's the idea of like because it was in such a rough area and there was other crimes going on in that area it just seemed like the kind of place where you could just disappear if you were doing a crime it's like there's right. so many other things going on here that no one's going to notice me just doing this right like if you if you pulled this shit at the Beverly Hills hotel for example people would take notice they yeah, would right? find fucking bloody clothes in the dumpster and maybe their first reaction would be gasp this isn't prada but the next thing would definitely be there is blood on this shit yeah i stayed at a hotel in los angeles for my cousin's wedding and it was like a bougie hotel and they're mm. they're like door people made a note of like the comings and goings of people and made it like they they learned your name so yeah. like when you when you came and went they would say like hey and like so they knew everyone yeah. that was moving within the hotel every every moment so this just seemed like one of those places it's like you could give a fake name no one's gonna bat an eye it's one of those things it's like they're not like the the person at the desk isn't even looking up when you're checking in they're like i don't want to fucking know yeah which that's what it feels like at least yes yeah um so stuff that like other stuff that was uh like crimes that were talked about at the cecil um the third episode of the docuseries which is titled down the rabbit hole includes a brief reference to elizabeth short otherwise known as the black dahlia 
and alleges that the Cecil might have been the last place that she was seen alive. Records imply that Short was most likely didn't stay at the Cecil before her death. According to the Geographics video, the Cecil Hotel, the deadliest hotel in Los Angeles, a police officer named Myrel McBride stated that she spoke with a frightened young woman on January 14th, 1947, the day before Short's body was found. The unidentified woman had left a bar on Main Street in downtown Los Angeles and claimed that someone had threatened to kill her. Over the years, the story has evolved to suggest that Short was indeed having a few drinks at the Cecil before her murder. Mm-hmm. However, McBride's report just references a bar and not specifically the Cecil Hotel bar. McBride also noted that the mysterious woman claimed that she was going to meet with her parents later that night, which heavily contrasts with the fact that Short had been estranged from her parents for years. Mm-hmm. The Black Dahlia may have visited the Cecil Hotel at some point in her life, but she was not necessarily the frightened woman that McBride spoke with on that night. So that's one of those things that, like, especially the docuseries, like, took and rolled with. Right. They were like, oh, Elizabeth Short, a famous murder. Let's give it a half hour on it. Yeah. Well, and also in that same vein, I mean, of course, yes, it could have been. But don't you think that this officer would have remembered after seeing, like, I can see Elizabeth Short's face in my mind's eye right now, having never met her, come across her, any of that. And, like, I feel like it would be a case where you would see that person and you would remember like like it wouldn't just be like oh i don't think this was the person i spoke to like it's one of those cases where you're you're just like you it's so brutal that you there's no way that you wouldn't be like yeah oh my god i remember who i remember that person i remember i spoke with her yeah exactly uh so that seems a little fishy um jeffrey thomas paley a terrified guest at the Cecil and people passing by the hotel when he went onto the roof and fired several shots from a rifle in 1976. Thankfully, um, he failed to shoot anybody and was arrested by police shortly after his shooting began. After he was taken into custody, Paley told the officers he hadn't actually intended to harm anyone. According to him, uh, he had spent time in a mental hospital purchased the gun and fired the shots to demonstrate how easy it is for someone to get their hands on a dangerous weapon and take out a large number of people uh <laughs> it's just as easy today to do yeah. all that as it was in 1976 mm-hmm. so that's terrifying in itself yep there's there's a lot of things that have changed but not that, that. I mean, the, yeah and there's i was gonna say there's a lot of things that haven't necessarily changed too like the minimum wage uh, um yeah. but yeah that's that's a terrifying story yeah that's something like i'm full disclosure by the time you read this you won't be reading it because it's a podcast but <laughs> by the time you um, hear this by the time you hear this it'll be too late um like i'm that's something where like I'm alone tonight. I could have gone without hearing that being by myself with two cats who most definitely will not defend me. They would give up the position of your body to the killer just to be fed. Oh, for fuck's sake. They would eat my body after the killer left. Well, mom's 15 minutes late with dinner. We got to do what we got to do. Cracks paw knuckles. Yep. Pretty much. Yep. Oh, yeah. Um... 
On September 1st, 1992, the body of an African-American man was found in the alley behind the Cecil. Police said that he had either fallen, jumped, or been pushed from the hotel's 15th floor. He was either, he was somewhere in between 20 and 30 years old, and he's never been identified. Oh my God. Yeah. That's in 1992. You can identify people pretty well from then. Yeah. Um, And then, of course, the one that everybody knows, on February 19th, 2013, the body of 21-year-old Elisa Lamb was found inside a water tank located on the rooftop of the Cecil in downtown Los Angeles. We have an entire episode about the Elisa Lamb case and then another episode about the docuseries. So that's about as much info as I'm giving on that in this episode. Go to those other two if you want to hear about it. But that's even better because now you get three times as much Yeah, you get so much information. And and us. And us. Um... Let's be real. This is all about me. Oh, yeah. (laughs) On June 13th, 2015, the body of a 28-year-old man was found outside the hotel. Some say that he may have committed suicide by jumping from the hotel, although a spokesperson for the county coroner informed the Los Angeles Times that the cause of death had not been determined. So this is another unidentified man just found near the hotel. Yeah, and also, I mean... correct me if i'm wrong but i feel like it would be pretty easy to determine a fall from a significant height yeah i would say that uh there's indicators of a fall from a significant height on the ground level as opposed to like dying from a heart attack or something Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. for example you don't like break a fuck ton of bones in your body from yeah. a heart attack. Yeah. I don't think you bleed out after a heart attack. I don't think your skull gets smashed in from a heart attack. Yeah. <laughs> so just uh, now it was it was touched on a little bit, but I'm going to talk about some alleged supernatural things. Ooh, yes. Yes. So less than a year after Lamb's 2013 death at the Cecil, 11-year-old Costin uh, Alderet, um, he captured a photo that appears to show a figure hanging outside the fourth floor window. The boy reportedly suffered from nightmares after seeing the image, which aligns with conspiracy theories about the building being haunted by spirits. In Vanishing at the Cecil Hotel, interviewees speculate about how Lamb managed to reach the roof, with one person suggesting that she may have climbed up a fire escape, uh, the ladder outside the window of the building, and speculation ran rampant that this was the image that um, Costin had captured. Given that Lamb uh, has become such a cultural phenomenon, the photo has become part of the Cecil Hotel mythology. I believe they speak about it in the docuseries and they debunk it there which good (laughs) because yeah it's debunkable it's not it's not haunted um but after all that the hotel became the stay on main in 2007 new owners bought the hotel for 26 million dollars with plans to give the property a 100 million dollar makeover they changed the name in 2011 to the stay on main In 2014, the hotel was sold to New York City hotelier Richard Bourne for $30 million, 
after which another New York-based firm, Simon Barron Development, acquired a 99-year ground lease on the property. Okay. In 2016, Matt Barron, president of Simon Barron Development, said that he was committed to preserving architecturally or historically significant components of the building, such as the hotel's grand lobby, but his company planned to completely redevelop the interior and fix the, quote, hodgepodge work that had been done in more recent years. Beyond renovating the rooms, the developer also plans a gym, lounge, and questionably a rooftop pool. Uh, I think with what happened to Elisa Lamb, putting like a water feature that people can like hang out in on the roof is kind of in bad taste. I was going to say at the very least in poor taste, but also just like. I would say no access to the roof. I would say Completely no access, cut to, off the access roof. to the roof. But then also like. It's it's one of those things where like they didn't. Did they not think about this? Like how, not just, it, it just how offensive and like to her memory and how problematic that. I would say that, that I, um, like trillion dollar New York based like development companies probably aren't super in tune with the true crime community. So I don't know how much information he has about the history of the hotel. I don't know if like. It's the same thing as when you go to buy a house, if they have to tell you that somebody died there. Mm -hmm. Like, I don't know if if the criminal history of the hotel needs to be disclosed to the new owners. I don't know. I never bought a hotel, so I don't know. I feel like it would have to be the same with, like, other residential properties, though. I know this is a commercial residential space, but, like, you have to disclose that sort of thing, like when people are buying a house or renting an apartment or anything like that. So I can't I imagine it would be any different, especially when it's something that I don't want to even say common, but it could be a situation of they looked at the building and just saw dollar signs and were like, let's fucking pimp this shit out mm-hmm. and make it a place where people want to come to and we'll charge like, oh, it was a dollar fifty to rent a room way back when. Well, now it's like a hundred and fifty right a night. Well, and probably more because it's Los Angeles. And but. also, I'm sure I hate to say it, but I'm sure that the true crime uptick, the trend of people being into it that that probably played a role too in terms of them seeing dollar signs let's capitalize the true crime tourism yeah and on people's fascination with the macabre yeah i guess um but regardless the hotel closed in 2017 for renovation and online it said that the project completion is slated for sometime in 2021 i tried to look up right before we recorded this to see if it was open yet i haven't seen anything i don't know if anyone's on the ground over there and knows of what the hell's going on maybe tell us if it's open but i don't know i'm not staying there yeah uh, seems a little no yeah, I'm. I'm. It's a. It's gonna be a no from me, I'm dog. Good. I'm not into it. Yeah. Mm-mm. As questionable as it is, I'm an Airbnb stan. Yeah, I mean, and honestly, nine times out of ch- ten, Airbnb is cheaper. Gonna just not put anymore. It out there. Ugh, the fucking really? cleaning. The cleaning fees are destroying everything. Oh, I just booked. F- I just booked Airbnbs for our honeymoon. Holy shit. 
thank you for reminding me that I need to book an Airbnb for your wedding. Yeah. But also, I didn't even think about the cleaning fees. That's a true crime right there, everybody. Okay. What did they have to clean up? Well, what, they're a like, fucking body? Like, how They said, I, like, no. after... And also, like, I'm one of those people that, like, I'll clean... Like, if there's yep. cleaning products there, I'll clean. Yep. Yeah. Before I leave. Like, I don't want anyone to say, like, oh, she's a slob. She yeah. left the place in shambles. Like, no. Yeah, no, no, no. No, no, no. Well, and not just that, but, like, also there's that, like guilt of like oh well this person is paid to clean up after me or whatever like i yeah. do the same thing in like a hotel remember hotels yeah. but like remember going places remember yeah. doing things remember when you could like go outside without i don't know full existential dread yeah yeah you know um one last fact i have about the cecil in february 2017 the los angeles city council voted to deem the cecil a historic cultural monument because it, of its representation of an early 20th century American hotel and because of the historical significance of its architect's body of work. Hmm. So it is a historic cultural monument. Yeah. So that's that. There we go. That's the Cecil Hotel, man. Damn. Lots of, lots of stuff going on there. Uh, yeah, I found this interesting to research kind of this history, so I will probably end up doing um episodes kind of like this in the future like the stanley and a couple of other alleged haunted hotels and stuff that have kind of a nefarious past if you know of any in your home state or home country please let me know because i want to find out about them yeah it's very interesting and if you've ever stayed at the cecil hotel the stay on main mm, let me know yes i kind of want to know that how I'm was your it. experience I'm here for it. Yeah. So that's that. Um, you can go to our website, crimeculturepodcast.tumblr.com. You'll find the links to our Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and Patreon there. And I want to give a big thank you to all of our Patreon supporters, patrons. Um, you're very helpful. And uh, it's motivating to see people join the Patreon and makes us want to do even more work and bring even more fun stuff. So yeah. join the Patreon because we love it. And we love you. And we love you. Um, you can email us at crimeculturepod at gmail.com. Love getting those emails of cats. Uh. I see them before Caitlin does because I wake up earlier and go to work earlier because she's on the different coast. So and I because see she's them just got a work ethic. Yes. <laughs> I see them and <laughs> alert her to them as soon as I get them because they are a perfect thing to wake up to. And then so I just lose if, my goddamn mind. If you got a cute animal, and I'm still putting out the call if anyone wants to draw pictures of Bean. He's got an entire Instagram, cat named underscore Bean. And send Bless. me uh, send me art of my cat because yeah. I will a thousand percent hang it up. Because Haley's got FOMO because I do. Sin I fully gave do. me and I got my sketch of my kitties, which I think is we talked going about in it last a frame. Week, yeah. Yes, it's it, I'm my frame that I bought got canceled so i am still looking Aww. for a frame um Haley probably called target and canceled it for me yeah i'd be like um, don't give this bitch a frame yeah <laughs> but yeah that's that's that that's, that's a fun time and um oh i did want to say this is the first episode that's going to be coming out in june because of my wedding brain 
and everything that's been going on, you know, COVID and bean brain, bean brain and just work. And there's personal stuff going on. It's I'm a mess. Uh, Caitlin will be doing, I think, pride episodes. I had all my episodes pre-written before I realized when they were fucking coming out and didn't have enough time. But I will say I have episodes for next June slated out that I am so excited to talk about that are pride related. So next June is going to be a big pride month for the entire podcast. But now it's only half pride because Caitlin is more on top of her shit than I am. You can say it. I'm just a better ally than you. (sighs) I know. I'm so sorry. Yeah. I'm a real ally. I'm sorry. (laughs) But yeah. I think we're also doing like Women's History Month next year and mm-hmm. Black History Month. Mm-hmm. So we're we're we have we have pre-planned a lot of stuff, but like this year, my brain is Swiss cheese, so yes. I can only hold so much information. Yes. So I'm sorry about that, but I do have fun episodes for this month, so don't skip them. <laughs> <laughs> Unless you're going to enemy. Unless you're going to a safe pride celebration, in which case, skip away, skip on over to that little pride celebration. I wish. Tell them I say hi. I know, me too. My (sighs) one friend down in Palm Springs was like, oh, I think they're going to do pride this year. You should come down. And I was like, (gasps) I don't know know if I can. I don't know if I can do that. I'm not brave enough. I think being around that many people is going to kill me for a little while yeah yeah i'm i'm fully i'm fully into the whole keeping away from people for the foreseeable future i just if things are good enough by the wedding then i will be fine oh i will wear a goddamn fucking hazmat suit if i have to get to that wedding yeah anyway now we're (laughs) rambling so um go to the website email us join the patreon go to our social medias And we will see you next Tuesday. Yes, we will. Okay, bye. Bye.